Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Day. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Nothing in my life has changed since the last time we talked. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm getting more bummed about Mardi Gras right now because it's so fucking beautiful outside and yeah. I want to be out there, but my brain won't let me. <laughs> That's I, like the main thing that's changed for me. Been to a couple parades down the French Quarter, and it yeah, the weather's it's, it's nice. been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just been taking long walks in City Park. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. I should do that instead yeah. of sitting inside thinking about like, <laughs> would it be great if I was out there? Yeah, celebrating with everyone else. That's the good thing about having a dog is like gives me like I have to bring right. her on walks yeah. or else she goes nuts. So it kind of forces me to go out. And about. Yeah, I think. Lately, our routine has been like, watch a movie, go for a short walk, come back, watch a movie, go for a short... Yeah. Because we're so close to City Park. Yeah. And we can do that, which it's is... the best park in the city. I need to do that. I need to get out of the house and Gotta not just get like out the house, hit play on the next movie as soon as the credits roll for the first one. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, I think that's probably what's driving my mental health down right now. Well, what have y'all been watching since you're pounding them in as well? Well, I, I called you last weekend. Um, we went and saw Moonfall. The new mm. Roland Emmerich film, the guy that does all the, you know, disaster. He did Independence Day and oh. I rewatched his Godzilla movie recently. <laughs> oh, is that the Matthew Broderick? Yeah. <gasps> and it's good. Uh, I like it. I love I that movie. It. <laughs> yeah. It's got a terrible reputation. Yeah. yeah, don't they have like the baby Godzilla? Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Uh, yeah, that movie makes me cry. That's a good movie. Isn't the baby Godzilla like red? It's like, uh, the they're basically the Raptors from little. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I still have some action figures from that movie and the soundtrack on CD. That's the oh, first yeah. soundtrack I ever bought with like allowance money. When I mean, I was and like the CD case has that cool iridescent eye. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when they're that Puff Daddy. Um, Jimmy Page. Cashmere. Yep. Pretty, yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> it's basically just Jurassic Park ripped off, but like in New York City instead yeah. of in an amusement park. It's fun. That scene where Godzilla nuzzles her dead little babies. <laughs> oh, heartbreaking. Yeah. Sad. So, Horrible. So sad. I, I don't know. I think I might be a Roland Emmerich fan after seeing Moonfall. It was so much fun. Yeah. And it's so it's so ridiculous where, you know, astronauts are in space and they see this like black tar like substance and then uh the moon is falling and there's a conspiracy theorist that thinks it's the moon is a superstructure that's not real it's actually like wow. aliens have made this and then it's hollow on the inside it's hollow and basically the whole movie it's like what if a conspiracy theorist was right and the moon <laughs> is fake and it takes that to like an absurd level where gravity isn't working anymore the Oceans are like <laughs> flying, flying into, the, into sky. the sky and it's just insanity. And the last like 30 minutes turns into like a stoner, really out there sci-fi. That I, I, I totally dug it. And I was you like, you are selling me. Yeah. I laughed out loud <laughs> yeah. multiple times we in were, the theater. James and I were just busting out laughing and there were like four other people in the movie and nobody else oh, was. No. So I didn't <laughs> understand what the vibe was. But yeah, it was, I wish I could, we could talk at length about the bananas shit in this movie. Um, but it just came out. So we'll yeah. And I, I don't want to spoil it because yeah. like, I don't know. There's so many great lines. They say the moon, like moon, 
maybe 200 times in this movie. <laughs> they, they coined the term moon terror. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's really ridiculous, and it's a fun time. Maybe when you have a moonshine watch party when it's on streaming. We moonshine, like moonfall. Moon, like moon, moonshine, moon pies. Moon pies. We can have a moonwalk competition. Oh, man. I'm thinking we have a whole, like, Roland Emmerich, uh, like, auteur episode <laughs> after that comes out for, like, streaming so we can, like, talk about it. <laughs> it's 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 a hoot. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, go see it. What about you, Brittany? Been watching anything? Um, Yeah, I've been watching a couple of, like, 2022 movies, actually. But the one that is really sticking out to me the most, and I know like most of us have seen it, is the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie on Netflix. It's a hot topic. People are like either big mad at it or having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. Me too. Um, I get that if you're like a diehard like Texas Chainsaw Massacre horror person, like it probably would piss you off. But I'm not one of those people, and I just I don't know. It was a good time. Um. The plot made no sense. Um, it's It tries to pull in this, like, revenge plot a little bit. Like, all these other, like, reboots of horror movies are trying to do is, like, the people who survived the killer are, like, ready to kill the killer. It kind of makes fun of that, though. But, is that? But, okay. But the main, the actress is dead. That originally played her. <laughs> so why get a new actress to play like it felt totally unnecessary it also doesn't make sense because that movie came out like 50 years ago so right. like if it's a sequel then those characters are like 80 90 yeah, years old face would be 80 years old and easily he's, and he's like running with a chainsaw and swimming <laughs> and the thing is like so the the woman who survives is like living on this farm that's not super far away and just like she's done the jamie lee curtis thing in halloween where she's been like teaching herself how to shoot but she was from, in the original, she's like a California hippie. Right. Why would you stay in the town <laughs> that a massacre was committed And you know that Leatherface is still there? Like, he's still there. It's and like she's searching he's for Leatherface? He's not hiding. The, the town is like 10 people. But it's so funny because whenever, um, you know, Leatherface makes the kill, that this woman, gra- this like first set of kills, I guess, this woman grabs like her CB radio. And then this guy at the gas station here, he's like, oh, no, he's back. And then he immediately calls her and right. is like, hey, he's back. And then she's like, all right, I'm coming get him. I'm like, what? I don't want to spoil how that plays out, but like so how strange. inconsequential that subplot is to the main drive of this movie. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. It feels like a joke. Like it's, it feels like okay. it's making fun of the Laurie Strode I thought thing. it was funny because it was just so out of place. Um, but I guess that, that sounds like it was purposeful. But what's so cool about this is, I guess, the main crew in this movie, they're going to this Texas town, and they're trying to, like, gentrify it and, like, sell all these properties. But at the same time, these people are, like, influencers that are going, that are buying the properties. They're basically starting, like, a cult for Zoomers out in the middle of, like, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) It was so confusing, but I guess it doesn't have to make sense. But yeah, Brandon and I were having like a little like back and forth chat with the We Love to Watch, the we Love to Watch podcast people, podcast crew. And I think like Peter made like a good point. He's like, it seems like all these like reboots have like some kind of like, like um, Halloween kills 
had like a podcaster spin and this was kind of like TikTok influencers getting. It's like someone has a job that you could only have in 2022. <laughs> like you couldn't have had it in the 80s right. like when these original oh, sequels were coming so out. It's so funny. But I had a lot of fun with this. I love the ending and I don't want to spoil it, but the ending was fabulous. And it made no sense. The, the party bus scene is an all-timer. Oh, yeah. All-time one of the funnest things I've ever seen. But a busload of people just like slaughtered. I did not know how to feel about the PC culture, cancel culture uh-huh. stuff in this. Like they lay it on so thick in the beginning where you get like one of the main characters or the main character is like a victim of a school shooting. You have stuff about gun violence. Mm-hmm. You have the Confederate, the Confederate flag. flag. One of the other characters is called a Negro at some, and so there's racial stuff. Like they lay it on very thick. Yeah. And then when Leatherface gets on that bus, and the guy is like live streaming, he's like, "Hey, if you try anything, bro, I'm gonna cancel you." And he cuts him in half with a chainsaw. I was like, "Whoa! I don't know what this movie is trying to say." But it's saying something. I think it's politics were like reactionary. Like they're like yeah. big C conservative. Like basically these kids are like scared of guns and like rednecks, but they need like a shotgun to kill this like They need some rednecks and some shotguns. Yeah, they yeah. like the tools of conservatives <laughs> in this rural town are what they need to survive. And like their liberal utopia they're trying to prop mm. up in Texas is actively bad for the community and like an act of like gentrification against like rural poor southerners so i feel like the movie is actually like right wing in a lot of ways yeah the producer fede alvarez also did that movie uh don't breathe which i fucking hated because it had oh. like really bad politics as oh well. Mm-hmm. well that actually makes a lot of sense yeah because that did have some pretty icky politics but but okay so i'm watching it like the politics are bad the teens are really annoying the like dialogue is really clunky. That's just what slashers are. Like it feels like a like a pretty traditional slasher. Yeah, it doesn't ways. feel like an like an outside of the genre situation. Well, I, it's I all think, like part of it. I think why people and I didn't care for it overall, but I think why people <laughs> oh, no. are no. Well, I love I'm just joking. No, the gore was like over the top. I loved it. I love the party bus thing. But like, I think why people are upset. And I don't really care. Like, I think the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an all-time classic. But this is totally not that. I mean, and it it basically, like, is every bit opposite to what made the original work. And I think that's, you know, the original was, like, gritty. And this is, like, has a sheen, like, every Netflix movie does. And it it makes it feel, like, very made-for-TV, well... Like you, like you were saying, like the other one's gritty where you can like just you feel icky the whole time you're watching it and everything is sticky well, and dirty and hot. Yeah. And, it was, and this one was kind of like it almost felt like either made for TV or like an episode of right. like something like it didn't feel like a movie for well, some reason. And I think also it's like the original was more about the family. The family is the mm. scary part. Leatherface was always just kind of like yeah. has a mind of like a three year old. But the, they're stuck in the house of the family having this family dinner that's super fucked up and yeah. weird. That was the scary part. And now it's just like a f- franchise and he's like the face of it. He felt like Jason in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like from Friday the 13th. He's just a big hulking masked killer. Yeah. But 
Okay, the thing about Texas Chainsaw, though, is it's had, like, so many sequels and reboots and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. None of them are like each other. Every no. single one feels like a fresh take. I like that Renee Zellweger one. I haven't seen that. It looks fun. It's good. And so, what's sacred about it? I don't know. I don't... Like, it changes every time. So, like, it's okay to me that this is different. And I feel like a lot of, like, really fun... We were just talking about the Alien movies last mm-hmm. episode. We talked about all the sequels, and, like, my favorite ones were the ones that were, like, unique. Mm. and those movies piss people off because it's like they're good on their own but if you swapped out the alien or you swapped out Leatherface for a different killer it wouldn't change the movie much Mm -mm. and I feel like that pisses off people who want continuity in their like franchises I don't really care about that I want novelty and like in this movie there are so many novel kills and like gore gags that like it works as a slasher so I don't really care what it has to say about Texas Chainsaw it does get disorienting though like I had that problem with Halloween where it keeps rebooting and it ignores or it will like pick some information from certain sequels to work into its thing or it just completely ignores all the sequels. And I don't know. It's just like you feel that as a like I'm more of a fan of Halloween. Like I like all the originals. Mm-hmm. And when you have a reboot that says nah, ignore everything from film two to six, but then keep the stuff from seven and eight you know it's just like what are you doing like why even reboot this? what's strange about like what's happening with halloween now and this like i guess this texas chainsaw massacre situation is these killers are like way too old to be doing the stuff that they're doing so like i almost wish there was like some sort of like hey it's his son or like like a transfer of yeah, evil passing of the torch <laughs> to make it make more sense because I'm like you know some ninety something year old dude that has like superhuman <laughs> strength it makes no sense. I like I like the deviations from the core because those movies are going to get made no matter what. Like it's way easier to green light a Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel than it is to like get a whole new slasher off the ground. Mm. So it's funny to me, or it's at least like entertaining to me when someone like promises to deliver a new entry in a franchise and just does whatever they're going to do regardless. So like um, Brian Usna with the um, Silent Night, Deadly Night series, like he was supposed to do another like Santa Claus slasher in that series. Instead, he made a movie about a lesbian bug cult that had like nothing to do with Christmas. Uh, Amazing. And it's fucking great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like uh, Halloween three, the one with the, Another bug cult. <laughs> Maybe I just want bug cults in movies. Oh, yeah. But, Love uh, a good Roach bug cult. cult. <laughs> right. That, like, folk horror thing yeah. Yeah. that has nothing to do with Mike Myers. Michael Myers. Like, that's fun. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind the novelty as long as it is interesting on its own. This one is just dumb violence. Like, no purpose to it other than its own gore. And yeah. the gore's good. Lots like, dumb, it delivers. fun. Yeah. And, yeah. It's what I needed in February. <laughs> it's a really boneheaded movie. So other than um, dumb gore fun, what have you been watching, Brandon? I've been watching a lot of Oscar nominated films. <laughs> Wonderful. The nominations came out a few weeks ago. Like, I'm not going to go through and watch all the best picture nominees, like regardless of whether or not I'm interested in them. Like, I'm not going to make myself watch Don't Look Up. I have like no interest in it. Me either. That's how I feel about Belfast. Oh no interest God. in that. I don't want to no. see it. But, you know, it's a good excuse to make myself watch things i am interested in but just put on the back burner so i've been seeing all kinds of like best of 2021 movies that i did not make time for when we actually were doing that ritual i think i will do some kind of like oscar themed episode before the ceremony so that i can like filibuster the way i do sometimes where i'll just like rattle off all 10 to 12 titles that i've been watching 
But I will say it did inspire me to watch Pablo Lorraine's movies from last year that mm-hmm. I kind of put off. Um, I did not like Spencer very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like one of the Oscar nominated like misfires for me. Yeah. Which sucks because I like Kristen Stewart as an actor, but I don't like her performance in it. Yeah. And I just love her in a good hat. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, she wears a lot of those. Yeah. A lot of 90s couture in that movie, which Amazing. is kind of fun. Yeah. Actually, everything in the movie is great except her performance. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know. Like oh, Harsh. If, if you're looking forward to anything <laughs> in that movie, like Johnny Greenwood has a great score. The fashion's mm-hmm. really cool. The atmosphere's like tense. It's just like, she just, I don't know, just didn't work for me. Bummer. But I watched Pablo Lorraine's other 2021 movie that was on your best of the year mm-hmm. list uh, as Emma. Yeah. I got to say, if I had seen that before we recorded, that would have been in my top three, maybe oh my, my top God. two Damn. movies of the year. Yeah. Like the closest I've come to loving a movie more than Titan yeah. from last year. It's about two dance troupe, like avant-garde, like interpretive dance collaborators. Mm-hmm. The choreographer and his wife is one of the dancers. They they adopted a kid for, I think, a year, like maybe 10 months. Yeah. And the kid turned out to be like a little demon and like <laughs> was setting fires in their home and like uh, just tormenting people. And they gave him back to the adoption agency yeah. <laughs> and they became like pariahs in their village because of that. And the woman in the relationship like regrets giving him back to the adoption agency. So she decides to burn the entire world down to get him back. Um, he is a little demon because she is a big demon. Right. And took, <laughs> he took directly after her and she launches this like parasite style plot to like insert herself in the lives of the parents who adopted him after her and um basically borrows a flamethrower from her girl gang of like fellow dancers and like burns down city blocks mm-hmm. uh, until like she can reunite her family in the most fucked up way possible it is so good <laughs> uh it reminded me a lot of basic instinct which we talked about last time like just this deeply flawed woman um who has fun fucking everyone in eyesight and like creating violence out of thin air for no reason except its own like hedonism the sexuality of every person in that movie is just emma like everybody wants (laughs) to fuck emma Emma. (laughs) being horny is like a superpower like she can like get people to do whatever she wants Mm -hmm. by just being on the same like horny vibe with her she like Basically hypnotizes them with horniness yeah. and like manipulates the world around her <laughs> and through her, that. And her like reggaeton dancing. That's like a great <laughs> yeah. quality to have as oh. a person. <laughs> Hypnotize with the horniness. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's a fantastic movie. Like maybe when we do our like best of 2021, we caught up with after the fact oh, yeah. episode. I'd like to dig into it more. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen it. So that would, that that would be good. Watch it. I don't know. It just kind of bumps me out that. It had a really long delayed release because of COVID. Like it was supposed to go to theaters in 2020 and then it had like a two day event release on movie and then it just disappeared Mm -hmm. and then it had like a short theatrical run. And now I got it from the library this year. Like it just came out at the library on DVD. So now it's a physical media release. So it just kind of bummed me out, like watching Spencer and like kind of like not digging that one, and then seeing Emma, I was like, why is this not like <laughs> you know celebrated? Yeah. as like one of the better releases of last year. Yeah, I think I I was looking at all these lists online to try to find things to catch up on before I made my 2021 list, and that was 
I think that was on one list. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And I thought the imagery was very interesting. I mean, that's usually what pulls me towards a movie in the first place. And I thought it was interesting that he had done Spencer and he he did Jackie too, mm-hmm. right? So he's done these political biopics and then this very interesting, strange, sexy, colorful movie um, with just heaps of fire and her flamethrower scenes are just amazing yeah Yeah, beautiful i like too that like i thought going into it that it was going to be climax like that's what i read it compared to a lot and like it's way more of like a melodrama. It's got thing. some Almodovar mm-hmm. vibes. Yeah, Alma, yeah. It's very complicated. I actually said that to Hannah afterwards. I was like, that was kind of like Almodovar. Yeah. And I really like that aspect but of it. But it's him doing an erotic thriller, which fucking, <laughs> fucking yes. Like, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. I was a big fan. I'd mm. love to talk about it more later. Great. I'm glad you liked it. What have you been watching? So I am doing the Criterion Challenge. I think I've talked about it before. It's a letterbox challenge. You pick 52 movies based on certain criteria from the Criterion collection. Criterion criteria. Criterion criteria. <laughs> so I've been watching a few of those, and I, I saw one recently that I just loved so much. It is um, Donkey Skin, directed by Jacques Demi from 1970. Is that like the fairy tale? Yes. Okay, I've yeah. seen this. Oh, my gosh. Okay. It was just so funny. And so I've seen... Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I I don't know how to pronounce that city, which is one of my dad's favorite movies. I didn't realize that this was directed by Jacques Demi when I started it up. It is this totally bananas, beautiful, colorful fairy tale based on a Charles Perrault fairy tale. He did Bluebeard and Little Red Riding Hood, very classic fairy tales. So it's about this kingdom, a king and a queen and their daughter played by Catherine Deneuve. And the queen dies. She makes her husband promise that he will only remarry if he finds someone more beautiful than she is. So she is buried in this weird Christmas ornament bobble filled with flowers in the snow. Um, And he tells his daughter he never wants to see her again because he's just haunted by the death of his wife. So months later, his court is like, okay, you need to find a new woman to marry and he has them bring these portraits of women and he's like no no not her not her not beautiful enough she's depressing her nose is too big (laughs) and then finally they get to the last portrait and it's obviously Catherine Deneuve his daughter and he says ah this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen you've been keeping her from me Uh, who is she and they're like that's your daughter and he's like oh I must marry her at once so (laughs) so, yeah so he tells his daughter he wants to marry her. She's conflicted. She goes to her fairy godmother, who's played by Delphine Seyrig, who's also in a movie that we're going to watch. Right. Um, she keeps popping up in like yeah. a lot of movies. Oh, and yeah. she was in She's Daughters so of Darkness, beautiful. too. Yeah. I just watched her in this um, musical called The Golden 80s on Criterion. Ooh, and she's very good in that. Cool. I mean, she's I love her. She's great. Uh, she is Catherine Deneuve's fairy godmother. Catherine Dune was like, I don't know, should I marry my dad? And uh, she's like, no, you shouldn't. And she has a musical number about how you shouldn't marry your parents. <laughs> and then the fairy godmother's solution to this is to force the father to like create, it's like a project runway competition, like make him make these impossible gowns for you. And he manages to do it. So 
the fairy godmother convinces the daughter to escape by wearing the skin of the prized donkey of the kingdom and like running off to a strange village. Um, And then, you know, other stuff happens from there. There's a romance plot. But I was just so enthralled by the look of this movie. The king has his throne is a huge white cat and it's never explained their gowns are like kind of historically accurate. And then they have these big ass fake jewels all over the place. It's just like such a funny, like irreverent, beautiful movie. And I would recommend it to everybody. I'm so stoked. Yeah, it's great. Dude, that night, Hannah stayed at home. I went to Crew de Vu, uh, a parade in the French Quarter. Had quite a few alcoholic beverages. I came back home. <laughs> I walk in the house and I like, I sit on the couch I like start watching this. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) I've never, it's been a long time since I've been that bewildered to walk into a movie. I'm like, oh my God, what are you? And then she started to explain the plot. I'm like, just, just stop. Just let let it wash over me. (laughs) I just, from the few scenes I saw, this movie is wild. It sounds more like a Soviet film than a French one. Like they have those like Soviet fantasy movies from Mm -hmm. like the sixties and seventies that like, um, or just like immersed in like old school fairy tale logic yeah. and have like, you know, beautiful costuming and yeah. I don't know. It'd be it fun sounds to amazing. do an episode on those types of movies. Yeah. Right? I was thinking, yeah. I think it would be so fun to do like a fairy tale Ooh, episode. I yeah. just, I love fairy tale movies and this one is, it just was so special. And I just feel like I haven't been so excited by a movie in a long time, but I, I was just sending uh, my sibling Nora screenshots like every I was like you ha-, and sh- and they called me like Hanna what is this movie right. that- <laughs> I had told them about Titan and they said you know I was concerned about your taste in movies but this is far more concerning to me <laughs> so uh, yeah please watch this movie I yes. enjoyed it so much awesome well speaking of the Criterion Challenge I'm assuming that's how we got to today's topic as well right um actually. We got to today's topic because of a movie on the Criterion channel that I think I watched it last year. So I had wanted to do a episode about liminal spaces, but I felt like that's such a weird, pretentious (laughs) topic that I kind of like backed down from it. Um, But this would have been my pick for that topic. And then I thought, okay, what's kind of a more approachable topic? And I came up with uh, Bad Vacations. So... I love the idea of a bad vacation because it is a liminal space to me. Like you're separated from your day-to-day life and there's so much pressure put on a vacation to rejuvenate you and to like unlock the goodness of your person to totally refresh you. And I have had like a 50-50 relationship with vacations. Like sometimes it's like totally restful and rejuvenating. And then sometimes it just gives you the opportunity to ruminate on all of your problems and sadness. (laughs) Why am I not happy? Yeah. There's an (laughs) SNL skit with Adam Sandler. He's doing a tour commercial for Romano Tours in Italy. And he's like, just so you know, we cannot make you a happier person. You will still be the same sad you in Italy. It's brutal. It's very good. People love us, but every so often a customer leaves a review that they weren't, they were disappointed or didn't have as much fun as they thought. So here at Romano Tours, we always remind our customers, if you're sad now, 
you might still feel sad there, okay? You understand that makes sense? Our tours will take you to the most beautiful places on Earth. Hike the cliffs of the Amalfi Coast. Fish with the nets in Sorrento. Do this, I don't know. But remember, you're still gonna be you on vacation. If you are sad where you are, and then you get on a plane to Italy, to you in Italy will be the same sad you from before, just in a new place. Does that make sense? There's a lot of vacation can do. Help you unwind, see some different looking squirrels. But it cannot fix deeper issues, like how you behave in group settings or your general baseline mood. That's a job for incremental lifestyle changes sustained over time. My pick for Bad Vacations was last year at Marienbad, which was directed by Alan Resnay in 1961. It stars Delphine Seyrig, who was also in Donkey Skin, Giorgio Albertazzi, and Sasha Pitio Oif. No, just I just don't even know how to say his name. So I'm sorry, Sasha. Uh, so th- these characters don't have names. Um, they're billed as A, X, and M, respectively. They're at a resort somewhere in Europe. Um, it's never clear where this resort is. It looks it, like Versailles, but I don't think yeah. it's Versailles. <laughs> and it also, so it was filmed in multiple locations, and mm-hmm. the hotel is always kind of changing in subtle ways. So, and they they list off, lo- so, okay, so the story basically is this woman and this man meet at this hotel, and the man is convinced that they had met the year before at some other resort, and he is detailing the story of their um, meeting to her, she says she can't remember this happening. And he's trying to convince her that it did. And he's detailing basically an affair that they had. It's not clear um, if this actually happened. Um, She's traveling with this man. It's not clear if they are um, together, if he's her husband or not. Uh, Basically, nothing in this movie is is clear clear. at all. (laughs) Um, But it, The mood is very tense. This hotel is huge, very ornately decorated. There's a park outside with these very, like, strangely architectural hedges, like, like spheres and triangles. It's like nothing about this place is inviting or restful. Um, And the score is actually done by Delphine's brother, Francis Seyrig, and it's basically like this very unsettling organ music throughout the entire film. Oh, that organist was going off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bow, bow, bow. Yeah, it's so I don't know if I like this movie. I saw it, I think I saw it last year. And what it made me think of was like if Hotel California was a French like new wave art house <laughs> film. Oh. And I love Hotel California and I love movies about places that are like gaudy and ornate and also just totally empty and devoid of like any kind of home or good feeling. So I really just wanted to make everybody watch this movie <laughs> and like let me know uh, what everybody thought of it. Man, it w- it looks beautiful like the, there's these tracking 
shots where the camera's just moving and it's moving across like the ceilings and people's faces and then you have that organ music and just like it feels really intense but you're so confused the whole time because it's like <laughs> jumping between the past maybe the future maybe the present and like all traditional movie storytelling is sort of thrown out and like it's this surreal kind of nightmare what i could tell from reading about it is that it's always done this to people since it came out mm-hmm. like there's been like a long standing debate since the 60s about the movies like responsibility to be entertaining and mm. clear in its narrative and like i think people have been struggling with what happens in it mm-hmm. how valuable it is as like cinema yeah. and like in a larger sense like what cinema owes us as entertainment like mm-hmm. since it came out so like i don't know i was confused by like everything <laughs> that happens in it but i think i think that's kind of like what it's been doing since it was yeah. first screened but it has this really interesting effect when you watch it it hypnotizes yeah. you. yes like i'm literally like like i'm kind of falling asleep a little, but I'm also like engaged. Yeah. It's like I'll, sinisterly boring hip- in a way. Yeah. Right? I'm like, <laughs> the the like- use of shadows in this movie too. Like whenever I hear the title of this movie, I just see her like going up the stairs where it's like mm-hmm. super dark. And then there's just this like little hint of light and it's insane. But yeah, like the whole time I'm like, am I in the flashback or am I in the present? Right. Does it fucking matter? I don't think it matters. Yeah. And there was this, I don't know if it was like something with my TV but there was like this one scene where it was like back. Doo, 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 doo. Did that happen on my like, thing or was that like, part of it? It was like catching cutting. back up after a lag almost? No, it was like it was a moment where it felt like it was going back and forth from present day to the past. But it was really Is it quit. like in the white room? Yes. Yeah. No, okay. that's the movie. That was part that's of the movie. Totally okay, the I'm like, movie. whoa. That was yeah, really wow. yeah. There's also those match cuts where like a character stays still in the frame and it matches to a different room oh, yeah. in the hotel. Ooh, really so wild. off-putting. It, yeah, yeah, like it makes you so uncomfortable and I love it. I, I love reading like the critical response to this because mm-hmm. apparently some critics put it on like the worst yeah. movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, Pauline- it's another like appalling kale yeah. of course <laughs> yeah, Pauline Kale hated it and then akira kurosawa it's is- like his one of his favorites yeah. and like i was kind of in the middle i was like this is interesting it's not like any other film i've really seen i'm confused but ultimately i do think i kind of understood the story okay like i think there was some relationship i don't know what the nature of it was and it's like their memories of each other and that affair are kind of haunting their present moment. And they're trying to escape it. Like she's trying to put him out of her mind and she can't, he keeps like pestering her yeah. like, Hey, remember me and this thing that happened. It's like a ghost. It's like time is happening all at once. It's like the present and the past are existing right now together. And that's the best like explanation I how have. How much I is that in the film and how much is it your brain making connections though? Cause, and I don't mean to like no. say that's wrong. But, but like, I think that's what the movie is like trying to do with that where it's like their memory of what really happened is really muddled up and like you feel really muddled up as you're watching this and it feels like this weird dreamy nightmare. And mm-hmm. it's, There's something there but she's trying to escape it. What's the nature like, of it? Like are we supposed to be feeling like how they're... See, I landed on a different 
interpretation though just more just that he's like gaslighting her and like implanting memories in her brain against her will oh is that what it feels like whenever people do that then i think so (laughs) and the movie like it's never happened to me opens with a hypnotic intro where Mm -hmm. he's just describing the details of the hotel okay the details of the past and it's this thing where it's so boring and so repetitive that like it just sort of like makes it more familiar through the repetition Mm -hmm. and he's like basically easing her into these memories that in my opinion, don't exist. Oh. But in both interpretations, you are supplying more of a pattern recognition than the movie is actually supplying. Yeah. Right. You're meeting it more than halfway. Well, and that's why I was thinking of as kind of like an anti-movie in the sense of like <laughs> traditional storytelling, the plot goes from point A to point B and I understand the characters and their motivation. Here, it's just like purposely obfuscating traditional storytelling and you have to like your brain wants to logically connect. What does this mean? Point. But yeah. I think the way to experience the film is to like turn that part of your brain off and just let it hypnotize you. Yeah. There, I also thought that it's possible. So th- there's also a question of what, if this happened with this man, <laughs> whether it was consensual or not, because the screenwriter it was originally written that she's explicitly raped by this man. And Mm. that is not clear in the movie at all. So you could also interpret it as like this thing happened to her one summer. And every year when she goes on vacation, she's like haunted by this memory of him. And she's grappling with what happened. Was it my fault? Did I encourage it? And, this voice in her head trying to convince her that it was a thing that they were both participating in. But the screenwriter and the filmmaker, like just in press interviews, they disagreed fundamentally about like different aspects of the film. So, I mean, I, I do think it's just this like dreamy mesh of ideas and you can have three or four totally valid interpretations of what happened. It's really a challenging film for me to watch. The beginning is very, like, I honestly, this happened the first time and the second time, I, like, almost fell asleep. It's like you're riveted, but your yeah. eyes are like rolling in the back yeah. of your head. <laughs> exactly. I was just like so, <laughs> so close weird. to, I was so close to just passing out. And then they start playing this Nin game, which I'm very interested. I'm interested in that. Could you explain the rules of that game? Because I definitely could not. Yeah. And okay. why does the guy keep winning? Like, what is the strategy? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just don't know. Like, how does he keep winning? He you can grab as many that... cards as you want. But they have to be in one so it's set up as like a pyramid basically of any object okay and you can take as many pieces as you want but it has to be in the same row so either vertically or horizontally um so then if you like if you took the center row out you have these two separate piles um and then i think you can only take like from one of the piles or something yeah so it has to be you can take as many as you want in the same row of objects. And one man, the man that she's ostensibly with, keeps winning. So the whoever, it's like a battle of conquering, basically. And it's this old game that I think is originally Chinese. And it's all about like, who has this thing at the end of it, which I think, you know, lends itself to the film because they're also vying over this woman. Mm -hmm. But also it's like the games that they play outside of that, get 
more and more ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yes. they, they are not traditional no. games. At one point, like the dominoes are just kind of like a circle around the table. Like, what is that? It's just like not your traditional right. game, which, nonsense like you said, lends itself to place. the insanity. It's of- kind of like they're doing the chess game from like Seventh Seal, but like the not, yeah, there's like an absurdism to it where like, you know, the metaphor of the chess game is like, oh, you're trying to like outsmart death, but death will always win. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's like, the cards are so stacked against you that the rules of the game don't even make sense. <laughs> like you're just playing because you are like, you have yeah. no choice. Just being alive is like playing a game against this like mysterious figure. As someone that likes weird, surreal, you know, art house films, this was really like a litmus test kind of for, um. or like it, it almost was a little too far gone for me. Like I still really appreciate it. It was beautiful. It was like nothing I've ever seen, but this is a really good like test of how much surrealism are you willing to take? And it kind of reminded me of like meshes of the afternoon that we talked about kind of recently. It's like, and I think it kind of pushed me to the edge of what am I willing to take in surrealist storytelling? Yeah. Meshes didn't even challenge me as much as this one. No, this was was really challenging. But I think what's interesting about it is like, this is the kind of avant-garde art that you can like see it trickle down. So like, okay, like fashion, we were talking about a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Donkey's like, yeah, those like runway pieces that like walk and you look at it and you're like, no one would fucking wear that. But like three years later, some idea from that is like trickled down to like wearable, like ready to wear clothes. This feels like I can see the pieces of like Kubrick, or Lynch in yeah. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's its most pure, out there, like, provocative form. Uh-huh. That's, like, hard to accept it as a movie, the way it, it is on the screen. Um, so, yeah, it is, like, testing you, but it's, like... You know, I watched this movie um, last night, Little Fish. Oh, I saw that! You saw that? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know how in that movie, like, it's about this, like, pandemic of, like, memory loss? Right. And they keep revisiting these memories, and the details keep changing, yeah. and like fading away, or just like a color will alter in like an object, and it's like that's some symbolism of their memory fading. Mm-hmm. It's like that idea could not exist without last year at Marion Bad existing yeah. half a century ago. It's just like mm. the needle is not going to move for that idea to be like palpable fifty years later. But how willing are you to deal with like the pure right the provocative pure form, idea? Yeah, that people like mind right. their ideas. I mean, yeah. that's how I feel about the source because this is in this considered like French New Wave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like when I watched Breathless for the first time, I was like, I don't really care for this, but I see how this influenced like a whole generation. It's two different things though, because there's um, left bank and right bank French New Wave. Were like, okay, the right bank was doing sort of like artier DIY versions of American crime films, um, which I think Breathless fits in that category. Yeah, and this is the left bank where it's like cerebral, yeah, um, essay film kind of like just. Mm -hmm. It's basically challenging the form of filmmaking in a way that like very few film movements have since. And yeah. it's been a problem for people since it came out. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's been a constant debate, which but is I, wild. I think I did like, ultimately yeah. I liked it. Me too. Yeah. And I appreciated yeah. it. I think it helped me that I am just so interested in this kind of setting. Like, again, these like kind of overly ornate uh, structures that just feel kind of like empty and soulless. And like, these bourgeois people trying to come to these places for rest and just being kind of like haunted by their own 
inner like their dreams and demons like that's Sick. very cool to me yeah. and even like my at my most uncomfortable for instance so i also see this film as like this has been happening like these people have had these conversations over and over and over again it's not just like this happened last mm-hmm. year and we're trying to figure it out it's like this endless cycle of you know what happened and what is our relationship and and who am i to you and the beginning of the movie feels like the introduction to like the start of their vacation. It's this droning dream and it's kind of like hazy and then you snap to attention and then the, you know, the cycle starts. You snap to attention in a movie theater, right? Yeah. Like they're like watching cinema when like it right. breaks that hypnotism. Yeah. I don't know. It's very like self-aware in that way. It's like, right. um, you know, we're using cinema to fuck with your brain. Yeah. Yeah. That setting actually reminded me a lot of Daughters of Darkness, like even without Delphine Sirig mm-hmm. being involved. Mm-hmm. Like they could be set in the same like haunted hotel. Let me just stay in it. Ghosts <laughs> instead of vampires. Yeah. Look, I found this film to be so therapeutic. <gasps> I put on a face mask <laughs> and then I watched it and then I moved on to like an eye treatment. Yeah. And I just kept like piling all Amazing. these creams on my face and on like my elbows and other dry skin patches. And I just felt like a spa. Like it was this like spa experience. Like, you know, going through like the camera moving through all these beautiful hallways, mm-hmm. the close ups on all the statues and like all these rich people just staring at me. And it's like right. ASMR yeah. cinema. Yeah. Right. Just this <laughs> I was just so relaxing. Yeah. In the beginning that everybody it's like you're kind of shuttling from conversation to conversation and it's like all this meaningless I know. like that's what made it comfortable for me because yeah. at first i was like god this is some more shit i'm supposed to understand that i'm too <laughs> stupid to understand and then i'm like i don't fucking there think is no answer, answer, so yeah. Yeah. and when i came to that conclusion it was like all the muscles in my body weren't tense anymore <laughs> and i just like let it take me uh, and it was amazing. great it was like the logical part of your brain wants to try to figure it out, but once you turn once it you off, let it go. It lulls you into the thing. That's like yeah. when people ask David Lynch what his movies mean. He's like, yeah. "I'm not answering that question." <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. really does like, and you know, I love David Lynch, and he makes films that feel like dreams, and this feels like a dream. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, it, you can't figure out your dreams; they just make you feel a certain way, and they just kind of are gone. They evaporate. One other, so you brought up Little Fish um, and how it kind of plays with the details to indicate the loss of memory. And something I really love about this film is those moments where he's narrating and what's happening on the screen doesn't align with what he's saying. And it's kind of jarring and confusing. And then something he says at some point in the movie will be repeated in an image later or like... Um, something that happens on screen will be narrated later. It's like everything is kind of jumbled together and entrancing. And then sometimes he's describing something happening or something that she does and she's not doing it on the screen and he's yelling at her. It's out of sync. Yeah, exactly. There's like character dialogue that's out of sync with people talking. There's like musicians playing on screen that are out of sync with that fucking crazy organ score. (laughs) Yeah, the whole movie is just like, off yeah yeah and i think it's so exciting and my my experience was i start the movie i'm like i don't know i don't know about this movie what's happened and then as it keeps going i'm kind of like getting more and more on board and in sync with its like off kilter presentation and then by the end i'm like okay yeah that was a great movie which is interesting is like a bad vacation yeah topic like it is disorienting to like leave your especially when you go to like a disney resort or like 
just like a fake space where like things you're aren't trapped real. in a resort. Right. Well, I was thinking too, like with <laughs> resorts, I feel like people tend to go there like, you know, once a year, we're going to go to what Disney, for example. Yeah. And watching this movie, I was thinking about like, but what if those memories existed all at one time of like, we went to Magic Kingdom and like mm-hmm. the memory from last year and the year before were all like existing in the same space and time as we know it as a linear thing c- kind of got jumbled. This like, is why I do that's not what go to this movie would feel like. <laughs> like. Yeah. It would feel like this movie. I don't have that experience because I'm not rich. <laughs> you can't go yeah. to like Magic Kingdom once a year. But like, I could imagine like people who are like, let me go to Sandals again yeah. or the, the cruise ship to the private mm-hmm. island over and over again. And I'm like, doesn't that feel weird? I feel like we do collectively have that experience with Mardi Gras, though. We're like, when you're in the thick of Mardi Gras, it's like Fat Tuesday and the same like bands are coming through and the same people you see every year are coming through. The costumes change, but like, yeah, it feels like you haven't left that space. It's like, oh, yeah, this is like Mardi Gras time. Like, I, there's but, like this like liminal mm-hmm. continuity yeah. to that. But, you know, you're down in the corner. You could if I go to visit you guys down there a memory from five years ago. My pu- oh, right. I remember that time, like I was down here with Brandon and this happened. And like when that memory occurs in my brain, it's like it's existing right. in the present moment. And yet here we are like the organ this many years does later. that too, because I'm thinking like Mardi Gras has the same tribal like rhythm to the drums. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like there's like a soundtrack to that. Like it's like that rhythm. It's almost like the Olympic fire, like that, fire has not been put out between those two times. Like it just hasn't Mm -hmm. been in your, you know, in your periphery in the, in between space. But like when you hear that drum again, that same like rhythm, it's like, Oh yeah, I have not left this world. Well, and uh, go back to what we were talking about as far as film, like you expect a, in a plot, it's like this happens and this happens. It's like time moves in a linear fashion, Mm -hmm. but that's not how time, like that's not how we actually experience time. And so, like, this film captures that, and it's really eerie. And especially the experience of being in a hotel. Like, I remember going on vacations, and we would have maybe one thing we're going to do in the morning. And then we're going to go out and go to dinner later. And then we have a show to go to. But there's all this in-between time in the hotel that feels like the in-between time at every other hotel you've ever been to and is more limiting than actually being at home. Mm -hmm. Like you're trapped in a room and basically you can either watch TV or like read a book or take a nap, which is what most most people do. Like we're going to take a nap and then we're going to wake up and go to lunch. And that is the feeling that I get when I watch this movie. It's like I like meshes of the afternoon. I just woke up. I'm groggy and I'm suffocated (laughs) in this like very luxurious space. And I just like, I just love exploring that weird groggy area. Welcome everyone. I am your damn guide, Arnie. Now I'm about to take you through a fully functioning power plant. So please, no one wander off the damn tour. And please take all the damn pictures you want. Now are there any damn questions? Whenever the topic for this episode was talked about, I think I came in like late to the conversation and Brandon was just like, bad vacation movie. 
pick one. I'm like, <laughs> Vegas vacation. <laughs> and then whenever I saw everybody else's choices, I thought, oh no, um, <laughs> one is not like the rest. But this is probably, I hate saying this, but this is my favorite movie in the vacation franchise. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of people don't feel that way. This is the only vacation movie that John Hughes didn't write. So Vegas Vacation. Let's get it kicked off. It's the fourth film in the franchise. Yeah. And it was the first one that wasn't like loved. Right. Well, well maybe European Vacation. No one really talks about that No one that likes anymore. European Vacation that much. So it's Vacation, European yeah. Vacation, Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Christmas yeah. Vacation. And then Vegas Vacation. I do have to say, I feel like... One of these films had to be in this episode because that is like the quintessential American bad American vacation, bad vacation idea. Movie. So I am very glad that you picked. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate answer. that. Yeah, but they're um, never a bad vacation because the family always comes back together. Yeah, stronger but it's than when in they spite started. of the bad yeah. vacation. Right. I st- I feel like this one is like probably the worst vacation out of all the vacations that have been had in vacation movies. The Chevy Chase vacation movies. Right. Right. I don't know. I would think so. I think it's the least bad vacation out of all of our picks. Like, it kind of seems fun, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's fun for everyone except for Clark Griswold. Yeah. So this movie starts off with one of the best openings, I think. It's Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold driving like a madman and singing along to good vibrations while looking at a brochure of Las Vegas. (laughs) So this kind of comes off of something that happened in the Christmas Vacation movies where he comes up with this like way to preserve food for a certain amount of time and he thinks he's going to get this big bonus. And in Christmas Vacation, he doesn't get the big bonus. Well, in this movie, he does get the big bonus and he's going to take his family to Las Vegas. What's so funny about all of these vacation movies is Rusty and Audrey are never the same. (laughs) Yeah. And Rusty and Audrey are still kind of like teenagers in this movie, which is so funny because they were teenagers in like the first vacation movie. So technically, like by the time Vegas vacation hits, they should be like almost in their 30s yeah. or something. But then in Christmas vacation, Rusty is a kid. He's, He's a like child. 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no connection to these movies. So like I didn't yeah. know that. I was like, oh, they just recast the kids. How weird. Right. I it's didn't realize that was a running Ellen, It's Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase. It's Ellen and Clark yeah. Griswold are the only two. And Randy yeah. Quaid are like the only characters that stay the same. But yeah, yeah, that's what makes it so strange. But, and I think like they're trying to make fun of that because yes. he keeps forgetting Audrey's name. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's like, like oh, I one? barely even recognize these kids. That anymore. went way over my head. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's because you're not on the vacation. <laughs> yeah. You're not in the I'm inn. not a chase head. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to las vegas and at first everyone's like really you're picking las vegas it's not really a family-friendly place and to get to las vegas which kind of goes against clark griswold and like his values is they take a plane and all the vacation movies i guess except maybe for a european vacation He's very like getting there is the the fun part. Mm-hmm. Like we're not gonna fly and we're gonna have a, a road trip from hell. But they actually go on a plane and um, on the plane he does a very Clark Griswold thing and is like, "Hey, honey, you want to be a part of the Mile High Club?" And they try to have sex in like you know an airplane bathroom that is like super tiny. Anytime I go to the bathroom in an airplane and I see the blue stuff in the toilet, I think of the scene. 
Mm-hmm. So they're trying to like get it on and it doesn't work. And then like her foot goes in the toilet and he pulls her foot out. And then once they land in Las Vegas, like they're just full of blue shit from the toilet. Mm-hmm. Super funny. <laughs> no, the pen just, you know, the yeah, ink from oh, my the pen. pen. He's like, oh, he's like, oh, uh, my pen bursts. And then he tells someone else, oh, it's just a birthmark. <laughs> so, um, so they arrive to Las Vegas and he like becomes a gambling addict super fast and his i can't what's that guy's name again princess bride guy our guy wallace sean wallace sean is kind of like his nemesis in this movie and he um he keeps trying to play blackjack with him and he keeps losing and he loses all his money so as the family is like doing these vegasy things together they kind of start to drift apart where like Clark is trying to push everyone to do their own thing a little bit so that he can go and just gamble as much as he can to win the money back that he's like continuously losing. So while that's happening, Wayne Newton is, (laughs) is making some big moves on Ellen Griswold (laughs) and she's a Waniac. She even has like an outfit um, that says Waniac Mm -hmm. across her chest. And I'm obsessed with it. If I can get this outfit, I would wear it every day. <laughs> um, Rusty kind of tries to do his own thing. And like, he becomes like Nick Papa Giorgio. Yeah. This yes. um, <laughs> um, Nick Papa Giorgio. And he just continuously wins cars. <laughs> and then Audrey hangs out with cousin Vicky, who is, El- it's so bizarre. So Ellen's cousin's husband is played by randy quaid and he shows up in every freaking movie and he is like super like trashy fun um and his daughter vicky is grown up in this film and she is a stripper and she headlines club areola in las vegas (laughs) great so um audrey goes off and kind of parties with her so they all kind of go their separate ways throughout this movie, but they do have like times together where there's like a Siegfried and Roy show where Clark becomes a lion <laughs> and it's never explained like what happens to him. And then they go on like a family trip to the Hoover Dam where I love the scene like Clark somehow like is rubbing up against like the wall and then water starts spewing out. So he keeps putting bubble gum in it to like close the dam holes and then he like ends up like finding himself like on a rope across the dam, hits the dam wall and has to like climb up. And and like at first I'm like, how did they make this happen? There was really like a stunt guy that he was on the Hoover Dam wall. Really? Yes. Apparently that was like a very long shoot. Like it was like yeah. days for them to get the, the dam to uh, close. Why? Didn't really improve the movie in any yeah. way. I don't know. <laughs> I disagree. What but. a waste of money. So, yeah, it's just, like, a lot goes on in this movie, and they all become, like, less and intertwined as a family, and then they start to kind of lose themselves a little bit, and then at the end, they all kind of come I, together. Well, I, so, <laughs> I, one thing I disagree with, I don't think they lose themselves, they discover themselves. Oh. Yes. Papa Giorgio, that. <laughs> Nick Papa that, Giorgio. Right, that's my favorite aspect of this film, The Sun who's like kind of the meek, like, oh, I don't know how to talk to girls. And then he just becomes a fucking baller. The daughter, too. Like, she becomes her, like her the sexuality. best version of herself. And yeah. like is yeah. powerful in this, like, sex and, worker role. Club yeah. Areola. And, and the wife is, like, banging, could bang Wayne Newton. Like, <laughs> this everyone is, big is like, this is only great. a bad vacation for one person. Yeah. Right. For the father. <laughs> everyone else does great. And, like, 
That's what I thought was so funny about it. Like, everyone's living their best life. I thought that this movie should have ended with, like, Ellen getting a divorce from Clark in Vegas. You're not doing it for me. I'm going to marry Wayne Newton. Well, Wayne Newton does go a little too far. Yeah, he does. Which I thought was kind of a cool, like, for someone who's obviously extremely vain and, like, into plastic surgery and maintaining this, like, I don't age kind of thing. For him to, like become a gross like yeah. cad i think that's pretty good yeah. for him like go out on a limb like that yeah he gives mm-hmm. her a lock of his hair and he has these big bowls of becomes pasta. a weirdo yeah. 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 Big bowls. <laughs> that was like four servings of pasta right, in, in each bowl <laughs> i like how much wayne noon is willing to yeah. poke fun at his persona i don't know if he expected like i'm sure he was like sure i'll be in this movie and i don't know like i don't know i can't imagine him being like sure this is fabulous well like yeah. Siegfried and roy don't do that like they just do their act yeah um which wayne is it, fabulous wayne is pretty yeah but, but wayne a prominent role in this, the in this yeah. film yeah. and he like becomes kind of a villain mr las vegas the thing that like throws me off about this and i feel like this is just as someone who wasn't around for the 1970s i don't know why chevy chase is supposed to be funny like well, I, don't, I don't know what no. the joke that, is that was a big thing i had watching i was like i find randy <laughs> I he's quaid very funny <laughs> no i find randy quaid he is funny yeah, randy quaid funny. is funny oh yeah chevy chase not funny and he's and the POV. Like you're supposed to like be viewing all of this through his eyes. And this is like a like threatened masculinity nightmare movie um, where like your family is thriving without you. Yeah. And like your daughter is finding her sexuality. And, and I say great. Like yeah. great yeah. for the family. Sucks for but you. But not for Clark Griswold. Yeah. He is no. so boring and just like. But that's what makes him funny is he's like this is that boring the joke? like family. The joke dad. Is he's like the stereotypical American dad. But this is so funny because he cannot and i can't think of randy quaid's character's name eddie eddie yeah eddie, he cannot yeah. get along with eddie but this whole movie it's like clark and eddie are these two buddies throughout you know, the whole eddie thing bails him out and yeah. brings him to that dollar 49 buffet hell yeah that's one of my favorite parts and in he's the bootleg like, casino with like all the poor people <laughs> uh, like, rock that, paper like, scissors pick a number <laughs> Oh yeah, the coin I love toss pick game. A yeah. When Randy Quaid comes in, <laughs> comes in, you instantly get the joke. He is sweaty. He eats yeah. with like loud smacking he's sounds. Got, he's got, got bush, bush beer, beer like attached to his belt loop. I get I'm it. Glad and we he's both zeroed in on that detail. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so instantly recognizable. Yeah. Chevy Chase, I'm like the entire time just staring blankly at the screen, like, what is supposed to be funny about this? Even the gag with the bubble gum where he's like fixing the Hoover Dam. And it's supposed to be this, like, almost like Charlie Chaplin style throwback to, like, uh, like silent era, like, yeah. physical yeah, comedy. Slapstick. I'm like, what's the joke? I don't get why I'm supposed to be Meanwhile, laughing. Meanwhile, Brittany's, like, crying her eyes out <laughs> laughing. <laughs> I'm just baffled by it. I just find him to be, like, so funny in, like, the creepy uncle way of, like, humor, if that makes sense to anybody, or maybe just me. But that's he's a turn off, creep- though. <laughs> like, when your I uncle mean, elbows you, he's like, I hate my wife. Isn't that hilarious? You're like, not really. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't hate his wife. He loves his loves family. Ellen. Like, I don't know. There's something about his character that feels like the but, prototypical American dad that loves his family and just wants to keep the family together. And in this movie, yeah. it's like everyone is doing better without you. Well, that's and, like, the funny part. Yeah. It's like he's not... He he thinks of himself as like the leader of this family and the glue of mm-hmm. it. And he really isn't. And I think this movie... Right makes fun of that yeah mm-hmm. um it's just chevy chase like has the same kind of shtick in all his movies he's sarcastic yeah but is he i don't know it's i don't a mystery. the actor is sarcastic i don't know what the characters are so i was talking to my uncle 
years back, and he said his favorite movie was Fletch. Oh, which nice. is a Chevy, Chevy Ch- Chase detective. And like, What's the joke? Right, and I wa- <laughs> and I watched it. I watched Fletch. And I'm like, I don't think I get it. I don't think I understand. <laughs> Or what like Chevy Chase is. It's like a low like, effort thing. Like he would do impersonations like Gerald Ford on um, SNL. And he'd be like, I'm Gerald Ford. And people were like, Whoa, ha, 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 slapping their knees. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? It's funny. Wow. I don't get it. It's because the, of understood. his delivery. Like he, <laughs> he kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Brady Bunch dad. But like yeah, in a more funny. modern time. <laughs> Because like he'll kind of go off and be like, "Well, you see, Rusty, this country." Yeah, he ha- right. Like, he has talk. this like fatherly like. Oh, Rust comes a time in a man's life yeah. when uh, right. he gets to that look at funny. the flower of women, the flower garden of women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I feel like I would enjoy the film more if he like if at the end instead of everyone kind of like rallying around him like, "Oh, Clark, you know we were wrong and you're right and we need to stick together and we're gonna you know play this last game of Kino." If it was just like. Either like the family just dissolves and people go their separate ways in Las Vegas. Right. I would have loved that. It wouldn't be a vacation movie, <laughs> right? Um, or they're that's like, more the next movie we're going to talk about, <laughs> <laughs> right. right? Or like, okay, Clark, you've totally failed us, but we'll like bring you back into the fold. You know, I don't like the triumphant like family wins because to me that wasn't the heart of the movie. Hmm. But yeah, I I think Eddie is extremely. Funny, like he totally elevates. Watching him eat is so gross. (laughs) (laughs) That's the part I couldn't get over. I always think about that dollar forty nine buffet scene where he's like, "I'll have some more of that yellow. Don't get cheap on me." Disgusting. (laughs) And it's all this gelatinous, like multicolored trays of food. Reminded me of him playing the parent and parents, like eating (gasps) in that movie is just so nasty. I could not stop fixating on the sounds of him just smacking on like buffet food and sneezing past the sneeze guard like yeah. oh, almost like a boy. sniper like how do i get my snot in this like <laughs> trays of hot food the nightmare part of the vacation that makes sense to me is like how much money they're spending like that yeah. part i get yeah where he's like i've spent like 20 grand since i've gotten yeah. here yep um, but, which scares me about vegas because i want to go but i'm scared of how much money i would spend no no but what, <laughs> what was fascinating we went you know we went to vegas last year and what i found fascinating was how this movie it gives you that like nightmare scenario of like, oh my God, you go to Vegas and you lose your family to, you know, your daughter becomes a stripper and your son's like turning into like hang out with mafiosos and (laughs) you lost $20,000 in two days. And yet it also affirms the Vegas dream at the end. It looks fun. Where where it's fun, but you also get all your money back on a, on a whim on luck and on a man dying in Kino. Yeah. And you leave, with more than you came and like, so it's like kind of telling you like Vegas is sort of a nightmare, but it also is like a great time and you should come. It's like kind of an ad for Vegas. And I think the there were like film. literal ads for Vegas tourism with yeah. these characters mm-hmm. after the movie. Came Especially out. the you Siegfried and Roy show. Like that felt very yeah. like, come like, to Las that's Vegas. Cool. Come see even though they're both that was like what yeah. I most wanted to go to Vegas for was like that pageantry. Yeah. Like looking at, I don't know if it was Siegfried or Roy, but one of them had like this huge cod piece. Yeah. And they're both oh, wearing yeah. like, like so much sequins and like the you, lions yeah. and everything. So you should tigers. go to Vegas. I think I would love it's it. So, yeah. It's so much fun. It's easy to not spend that much money. I yeah, don't like you don't gamble, have the gamble, but I like shows and buffets. Yeah, the shows exactly. and buffets would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> all I want to do is eat great food and see I ridiculous shit. I want crab shit. legs and yeah. I want to watch like showgirl stuff. 
How does this movie resonate with your Vegas vacation? Like, I th- I think a lot of it felt like it took. So they go to the Mirage Hotel. I think. Yeah, it, most of it takes place. I think yeah. at that hotel. And I think the thing that I took away from Vegas was like it just felt like this huge, like towering spectacle. Like literally, there were you know we were walking down the strip and there was this huge Coke bottle elevator <laughs> and like huge M and M's. Like everything felt big and glamorous and over the top and i didn't get the same feeling from this film and i think maybe it was because a lot of it was filmed at the mirage it's like at one hotel so i was missing a little bit of the scale of vegas that was more prevalent to me when i was there can't you like walk miles without ever going outside like you're like constantly covered yeah, yeah, we would like go in and out of hotels, but you can walk a lot of the strip by just going through hotel casinos. It was so cool to walk from like, you know, our hotel was the Luxor, so mm-hmm. we're in Egyptian times, yeah. and the, now and we're in like, too. and then you go into a tunnel, and now you're in New York, New York, mm-hmm. and I'm in London, Paris, Milan. Right, and then you go to like <laughs> Caesar's Palace, and now I'm in Roman times, and then I take another go through another tram and I'm in a whole different setting. It's like, that was the thrill of it. It was like, like Hannah said, pure spectacle and it's like mm-hmm. fantasy land. I'm convinced that's why I would love it. Cause when we went to Disney as adults on someone else's dime, it was on my parents' dime. I had a great time. I felt like I was in this artificial world separate from reality for like five days or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And I was horrified by how much money it costs to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I, I I had a parent who had like Disney bucks racked up on some credit nice. card yeah. thing. And yeah. like it helped comp some of the hotel stuff. But I just felt like so pampered and like relieved of like the burden of living in the real world for a few days. Yeah. That it was this weird limbo. And that's what I think I would love about Vegas because it's the same thing, but with like alcohol. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you can Readily openly available. drink and right. weed's legal there. You can... Vegas is so cool because you can live whatever life you want to live as long as you have some money. I mean, you can get as drunk as you want. You can live in whatever fantasy I'm land. I'm scared of that. Yeah. No, and it, it's scary, too. There's a dark We're side. we Clark Griswold. <laughs> so, like, yeah. The film, to go back to Vegas Vacation, it kind of explores that dark side of Vegas, but uh-huh. just on like a surface level. It never really goes there, but it's obviously yeah. a comedy, so why should it? But I do feel like... Rusty's story is like kind of getting at this Vegas undercurrent like you have the mob influence and I like I love that there was a character that actually like broke Vegas like every single thing he did he won right which was and just watching him like live out the Vegas fantasy like oh you started with nothing and now like you're allowed to you know stay in this huge suite Mm -hmm. and you're like part of this gangsters parties like that was very fun. (laughs) And then Clark's story, too, of just, like, dedicating yourself to one table and losing so much money (laughs) and then committing yourself to getting that money back through a means that has just lost you money. Like, that felt Mm. true to Vegas. That was not our experience because we only, we, like, set aside a certain amount of money to spend gambling and then didn't go farther than that. notice that, like, if Wayne Newton still performs... I don't know. He does not, no. Okay. I don't think so. Rats. 
I know. From what I, I yeah. would totally get the Waniac dress yeah. with like pasta for kick. You Ooh. know, I saw, I wanted that pasta so badly. It looks so good. Yeah, just the parsley. That good. dress that he gives her, that like yeah. Neiman Marcus gown is yeah. so gorgeous. <laughs> My favorite moment in this whole movie is when he um, puts the microphone in her face and she and hits the like oh, orgasmic note of loving you she hits that oh, high note yeah um, she like throws she like lets herself loose and yeah there's this one part where she starts singing and she throws her dress back and she's like days in springtime <laughs> yeah and i loved like the whiffs of an indecent proposal oh Just yeah like i thought this. it was going there yeah and yeah mm. it kind of went there but with the dress i don't know that is was that a bad so vacation fun. movie i know we've done this on the show before because yeah, like there's the vacation they, in the isn't beginning, isn't that in Vegas too? And it haunts them for the rest of the yeah, movie. Then, yeah, that's yeah. also a bad vacation. Yeah, you know, there's a new Adrian Lynn movie coming to yes. Hulu next yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very excited. Oh god, yeah. Very I don't know about that. Ben Affleck in an erotic thriller, but Ugh. we'll see. Anyway, this is a new thing. Yeah, I so I grew up watching Christmas Vacation. Yeah, I didn't even know that this was a fr- franchise. I just thought it was. Christmas Vacation. I thought that was one movie and I was obsessed with Christmas Vacation. There's four of them. Yeah. And like when I was in high school, maybe I finally saw Vacation. But I think I definitely like Vegas Vacation more than Vacation. Christmas Vacation is my favorite, but I love like the Kino stuff. I love all of... I, I actually really like the subplots and I don't know. I thought it was a fantastic selection from the lampoon for bad vacation i don't know about a fantastic so it was <laughs> but it you was have fun. to have the fun it's like a fundamental like bad vac- american bad vacation movie i just like the whole thing i'm just struggling like randy quaid can we give him like his own comedy like he's funny not anymore. No, now yeah, we'll go off the deep sad, end. But... but oh no, I guess what's the um, Joe Dante movie where he's like the neighbor for Tom Hanks, the suburb, the suburb, the, the, oh, the burbs, the burbs. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's like the movie. ultimate Randy Quaid movie, yeah. right? Actually, Parents is, but I think people yeah. love Burbs more. Oh, I guess I know we've already talked about this. So I, I just struggle with Chevy Chase, but I, I did f- find this. There were parts of this that I found very I funny. Sat Most of them involved through Randy this entire Quaid. comedy, granted by myself, alone on a couch, watching this by myself, just not laughing, staring at the screen. Really, like, what is happening? <laughs> just like I was observing, like the mating rituals of an obscure wasp creature from like half a planet away. I don't know. I just I and I also think like maybe it's something for me to be shamed of that I no I, I start no, no, laughing no. The, no. the minute it starts and it fits in the theme too. Like I know you were yeah. talking about like the um, sort of like <laughs> cinema level it was at like from like uh, the most avant garde head scratcher which is merry and bad like this is definitely yeah. the opposite end of that scale i was like when yeah. i when i saw everyone's like picks for this i was like oh god damn it Brittany. but it you fits did it the again. <laughs> especially well like with the next one chronologically which is force yeah. majeure mm-hmm. oh, like yeah. that one's kind also of... about threatened masculinity yeah and like being like the you know patriarch of this family yeah i mean like vegas vacation is obviously like done on an american sitcom sort of level yes. and then Force Majeure is like the European art house version mm-hmm. of kind of the same. It's pretty similar yeah. thematically. It's just interesting how two movies can be wildly different <laughs> and still be about the same, the same thing. Kind of yeah. thing. So the film that I picked was a 2014 Swedish film called Force Majeure, directed by Ruben Ostlund, 
who also did The Square. I've been I meaning know. to see this movie and The Square since they both came out. I just never make time for either of them. I feel like this one's better than The Square, but The Square is very interesting. Mm-hmm. He's got a new movie coming out this year called Triangle of Sadness, so we should keep that <laughs> on Another shape. Yeah, a lot of shapes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, really, weird. <laughs> yeah, and that one sounds interesting. It's about, I guess, rich people getting strained on an island and the like maid is the only one that knows how to cook. So she becomes like the head of the, Ugh, is that, another I, bad vacation. Permanent that vacation. Sounds- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds very cool. <laughs> this film is a, I guess a marital drama and it's about this very affluent family who decides to, you know, the vacation in the French Alps. The film starts with them kind of taking this family photo, which I thought was really interesting. Just kind of showing you like, look, this is the model the perfect little nuclear family. And early on in the film, it's alluded to that the husband works a lot and his wife makes a comment like, oh yeah, you can finally spend you know a week with the kids. And at first it, it goes really well. There's skiing and the scenery is beautiful. And then there's an inciting incident, which I think the first time I watched it, I actually had to go and rewind it because you kind of have to pay attention to what happens, but they're at the ski resort and there's controlled avalanches are a thing. And this controlled avalanche kind of gets out of control and slowly like starts to terrorize the family and it's coming upon them. And him as the patriarch abandons his family. He grabs his phone. He kind of shoves his kid to the side (laughs) and the kid's like, daddy, please. And like, (laughs) <laughs> he abandons his family and everything ends up being okay. Uh, the it fam- was like the dust of the avalanche or yeah. the snow like made it look like it was ha- like yeah. right. Him, and but it wasn't. And yeah. it's a scary experience. Oh, and every yeah. but everyone's fine. They go back to eating dinner or whatever. <laughs> um, real real quickly. <laughs> yeah, but the the rest of the film kind of explores. It kind uh, of gnaws at the wife and kids, like after it happens, right? Like dad is supposed to be our protector, and in this moment of crisis, he abandoned us. And the rest of the film explores that idea, and it's the fallout from that incident and the husband's refusal to acknowledge what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of like gaslighting going on in the beginning, where he says like no no i like that didn't happen like what are you talking about he even says like you were scared to the wife yeah right and that's what sets her off he's like yeah you were scared but we were all fine she was like she wasn't letting it go Um, either (laughs) hold on a minute and so like as the film goes on there's other couples that kind of are counterpoints to their relationship they're very much your standard like husband wife son daughter and they have one the wife's friend who's kind of in an open marriage and she screws around with other guys and she's kind of like, well, I can just have it both ways. I can do what I want. And there's also another couple who similarly kind of bounce off of them in a very interesting way. And so the whole film is sort of exploring like what are these kind of gender roles that we're put into with being in a family and the pressure that we're put into to be providers or to be nurturers. And so it's a really interesting exploration of those ideas. And it's also done in this very kind of cold object. Like the camera is very objective. It's just a lot of just static shots of them in these very awkward situations and trying to talk about these ideas. And it's, um, I don't know. I'll open the floor up. Just first of all, just based on that 
description, like, I know we're about to talk about Haneke soon. Yeah. Those, like, distanced still shots. Yeah. Of yes. Letting things play out and this sort of, like, dark, subversive humor about, like, the limitations of, like, the human spirit and, like, what humans actually can do versus, mm-hmm. like, how you think of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very Haneke. Uh, very, yeah. In general. Well, and very European. Like, that's something I've noticed watching a lot of these European art house films they like to be detached from what's happening. It's not really manipulative. Like you're not being swooned into feeling a certain way. You're just kind of watching this awkwardness unfold and it makes you feel awkward and cringe. Well, it's philosophical. It's like asking you even literally at one point, like what, how would I react if you did this to me? No. And that's like the interesting discussion around this film is like, as men, as fathers, like we're expected to be, strong and be providers but in a moment of crisis if you were to be weak and run away that really brings in a lot of questions about am i this provider am i fitting this role so this film like it sounds very philosophical and it's it's kind of philosophical but it's also very funny and i thought the conversation around it was very yeah interesting the funniest crying scenes that i've ever seen like, <laughs> yeah. i've never laughed at somebody crying more probably in any movie that so I've uncomfortable he was crying yeah, he was he was going for it <laughs> and his kids were into it it made me think about like my actions because right. i feel like whenever something happens and you have that like you know that fight or flight that happens to you like shit i'm like what happens if i like make the wrong decision in that moment and i don't like protect somebody that i'm supposed to yeah. protect and then like i don't know i kind of like put myself in his position i'm like i probably would have done the same thing <laughs> well, and i would have felt like shit apparently the director based it off of an anecdote from one of his friends who went to i guess south america and someone opened fire like gunfire in a restaurant or whatever and the husband ran away mm-hmm. and it, it actually became a topic of conversation amongst yeah. Their friend group. Oh, wow. And so it's kind of based on a real life incident. Yeah, but I could see that. But the film explores it, I think, in a really nuanced... It's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. I love how they get everybody in on it, though. I feel like every right. character, like that wife is just like, I'm not letting this shit go. Like, everyone's yeah. got to He wants to move it. on and talk about like, yeah. oh, the no. weather was nice today. And she's, she's like, like no. She's like, no. I want to get every fucking person's <laughs> opinion on this. Right. You need to admit what happened. And right. I feel like, honestly, I feel like his real transgression was denying it and saying yeah. this didn't happen. We had two different versions. Like you can, you know what you think happened and I have a right. different, it's and like, this is an objective If he would have just said, look, I fucked up. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It I can't believe played. I did that. That was right. my response. That was shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I think the movie ultimately was saying like, you know, everybody's like, oh, you don't know what you would do in that situation. But when you're talking about this hypothetical thing, and mm-hmm. I feel like people have done this in philosophy classes, like, what would you do? And the answer the is... The problem. Right. And the answer to me is you would do different things in different situations. Mm-hmm. Like, and your actions in one moment do not actually define who you are and how good of a person you are. Right. Like, it is... The thing that makes him a shitty dude is his denial of of what he did. But, you know, later yeah. on in the film, she makes a decision based out of fear 
and kind of like it's not the same thing, but it's a similar kind of thing. And people react differently in that situation. It's so gendered, like how they yeah. react to like disaster moments. Yeah, at the end, it feels like order is restored where like he becomes a macho right. protector and the situation resets. And then there's another disaster involving a bus going downhill. Yeah. Um, oh, where God. like her mm-hmm. motherly instincts kind of go to the wayside. Yeah. Where, like she decides to protect She's herself. She's like, I just need to get off yeah. this bus. Yeah. So, I have a quick question about that whole part where she gets injured and uh-huh. he can't. Was she really injured? No. Or was that a test? She, I feel yeah, like she, okay. she did that to kind of restore order. Yeah. Okay. To basically show the children like, look, dad is, uh, the, he's the provider. Yeah. He's the Make protector again. Yeah. Make him feel good. And then you have the final scene gotcha. where the mother abandons the kids. And then right. the very last you know, sequence is him smoking a cigarette kind of showing his true self to his mm-hmm. children like well we're all on equal footing now we're we're, we're like, back to normal we're yeah. back on a philosophical level i think it's interesting that the movie complicates the gender dynamics like at first it's like oh he's supposed to be the macho protector of the family and in my mind there's something about equity there that's like unfair like if a disaster is actually going to like befall your family it's like so it's the man's job to like basically be a human shield and die instead of other people yeah it's kind of fucked up to be the hero (laughs) to stop the avalanche right what is he actually gonna do to protect his kids it's like um you know in the like 40s and 50s when like people like had those nuclear drills where you get under your desk and protect your head you're not actually gonna protect your family from an avalanche you would just all die together and you'd be the first one to die or that whole thing of being on the plane like you can't help someone unless like you're safe kind of thing too so it's like what was he supposed to do like be in the the shit with all y'all yeah that's what kind of like opened the movie up to me a little bit is that they actually discuss that stuff and it's like they float that to her like oh so you want him to be the one to protect the family and she's like Actually, I'm mad at him not for not for being the like protective dad, but for not thinking of the kids before himself. My instinct was to protect my children, mm-hmm. and I'm like thinking it's fucked up that he thought of himself before thinking of his kids. And like that's another layer of gendered expectation is like women are supposed to think of their yeah, kids before themselves. They're the maternal protectors. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't wait till we talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> The movie's very thorny in that way. Like yeah. it's it's not easy to discuss any of its, you know, moral dilemmas. Like everything yeah. is poked at and from so many different directions that yeah. it starts as this very like gendered hypothetical scenario and it pokes at it from so many sides about the end you're like I I guess I'm just a coward at heart like Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a married man. I don't have children. I probably never will. Hopefully never will. And like <laughs> I would love to be married to someone who is bigger than me and physically stronger than me <laughs> so that I don't have to think about this because I know yeah. that at heart I am a coward. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm married to someone who is like physically smaller than me. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. if some physical harm came to us at the same time, technically I am like more durable physically. <laughs> like I, I should be yeah. the person to act as a human yeah. shield. But I think I know I know actually as a person that my reaction to like danger is to freeze. Yeah. Like, I just wait till the thing is over and then I deal with it. Yeah. See, I had an incident I with Hana fairly recently where like I <laughs> oh got um, an SOS thing on my phone, which I guess 
I took it to mean like she's in danger. Yeah. She's sending out like a nine one one to me, and it. I immediately like the way my brain works. I got in my car. I'm like, I'm driving. I'm yeah. gonna go find Hannah. Okay, and I want to tell the story from my perspective. Yeah. So, <laughs> SOS Hana. The weekend before, I got a new phone, and apparently, if you triple tap on it, it zooms in. And I like had just downloaded something right before that, so I thought, oh, I like I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, I put a bug on my phone, and I was trying to turn it off, but it was zoomed in, so I couldn't like see the turn off thing, and I, and then it was like. I was pressing these two buttons, hoping it would turn off. And then there was like a countdown. And I was like, oh, so this means my phone is going to turn off. <laughs> In three <laughs> seconds. And then it's called the police. Holy and, shit. <laughs> and then James and my mom are my emergency contacts on my phone. So it what happened was my phone activated SOS what? while I was on the streetcar. And it was sending like text messages I to them saying. I did not know phones could do this. Yeah. yeah. It was like, Hannah is sending an SOS. <sighs> this is her location. And it was like just on canal because I was on the streetcar. So then like my mom called me, James called me and I like couldn't even answer my phone because it was zoomed in. And then finally I was like able to get it. And James was like, don't worry. I'm on my way right now. I'm in the car. And I'm like, I have no. so many guns. Right? <laughs> I'm going to like fuck somebody up. Yeah. But like, no, and like, you there passed was this, the force measure. <laughs> yeah. no, but there was this rush of like, this is my time. If I like, if I'm your man or whatever, like, I need to be there to fuck shit up. Like, if someone's fucking with you or trying to hurt you, like, I need to be there to protect you. But you're not more equipped than her to deal with that scenario. Like, you're basically just like a shield. Like, you're like, yeah, gonna just suffer yeah. the danger. No, and I might have showed up and gotten shot in right. the face, and that I would way. be yeah. dead. Yeah. Like, actually, the, like the logical <laughs> thing to do would have been like to call the police and say like my girlfriend is here and like something wrong. Like what could you have done? No, I don't know. But, but your impulse, like I told my mom that you were like in the car and she was like, Oh, that makes me feel so good. You know, right. that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. And th- I kept thinking about that incident during this movie. Cause it, it's exploring that drive or that mm-hmm. instinct. Like, why do we have that? And like, and like you said, it explores it and pokes at it in a really nuanced, interesting way. That I, I don't know. I found it really like I don't, really interesting. Yeah, I think the characters are going through the same thing mm-hmm. that I went through in that moment, which is like, oh, there are all of these logical reasons that you shouldn't do this. Like, you know, you have to put the oxygen mask on first. Maybe right. he was trying to get out of the way of the avalanche so he could dig you out. But then <laughs> there's this worm in my head that was like, I'm so glad that's what he did. Like, that means that he is a protector. Like, there is this like gut feeling despite that logic that like Mm -hmm. your reaction in that moment determines your value as a person and how good of a person you are but it's like so much more complicated than that and like you can't control your reactions right and it's so hard it really is so hard to know what the right thing to do is that's what's scary is like just the fact that like you can't control what you do in that moment and like and it does, like, whether, like, we, we don't think so, but a lot of people think, like, that's what defines you. Right. Yes. Because I've had those moments mm. where, like, you know, when I was in London, someone fell in the gap on the subway and I just stood there. I freeze. Yeah, yeah I, I just froze. freeze completely yeah. solid. And, like, 
I was on the interstate and a guy flipped on his street bike and was like, his skin was ripped off and I'm like standing there and mm-hmm. I couldn't dial 911. Yeah. Like, it's just weird stuff like that. I'm like, God, I suck. Yeah. No, and, and I there's can't do this. so much pressure right. for, for that. It's like, okay, you have so few moments. And because of that, what you do in that moment, when you finally have it, it does define who you are. And it to- it does not. It doesn't. Right. You know? I know. What I find interesting about this is like, it has nothing to do with you as an individual. Like in this like parable, everything about how you react to those situations has to do with your relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. So like, it's either your role as a romantic partner or your role as a dad, Mm. like, yeah. Or your role as a man, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. In a, you know, just in a company of women and children, like even late in the film, after you've like broken past the like masculine aspect of it, there's that um, very Titan um, scene where like there's this bro dance party where everyone's uh-huh. like, yeah. raging oh, to like rhyme uh, yeah. techno music. Throw me in. Beautiful <laughs> stuff. And yeah, it, it, like big Titan vibes in that shot. Yeah, it's like, oh, for that was sure. a bit of an influence. It felt like that. Yeah, like the, um, the fire, the fire yeah. thing. Ugh, yeah. But never is it about his reaction as an individual. Like it's always yeah. like in relation to other people and it really has nothing to do with who you are. Yeah. Like you're a bad father. You're a bad husband. And what really opened that to me was like how it's equally about her. Mm -hmm. Like I thought this whole movie was gonna be this like straight man nightmare about like, what if I failed my duties as a protector for my wife or my children? But like the movie's also about her insecurities as well. And like it starts when she realizes that their fellow vacationer is in an open marriage Mm -hmm. and she's trying to ask questions like as a curious like you know neutral party like oh how does Mm -hmm. that relationship dynamic work and then as she asks questions her like breathing and her like volume level keeps raising it's like it's so agitated oh she's so fucking irritated with this person for living this like freer life Mm -hmm. right yeah um and then you know at the end there's this whole other like reset of like her reaction to a um emergency is questioned uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. The, like, there's no easy way to like sum up the dynamics of this movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's anything in this, but the kids in this movie are like so calm. Oh yeah. They see and yeah. well behaved. <laughs> they like, get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're like kind of learning. The too. audience surrogate. Yeah. Like even when the mom faked her injury, they just sat there and they're like, "Dad." I thought. Dad. I thought there was I'm something like, oh, to the okay. fact, like in the very last scene, how the son. And the dad have their arms around each other. Yeah. And the daughter and the mother, it's like they're learning mm. these roles yeah. from their parents. Right. And it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not, but that that's is what that's we what do, happens. right? I mean, yeah. well, I guess there's two audience surrogates. There's the children, and then there's also the um, sort of like janitor character who watches them oh, from a yeah. distance <laughs> oh, <laughs> smoking <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah. And at first they're like, can we get some privacy? And then later they're having even worse arguments. And they just like, they're like, fine, this guy's watching us. I don't care. I have to like, but that's how they have to get him to get into their room. Yeah. Like we were talking about (laughs) the European like sensibility of just like watching these characters. Like that's, he's like that surrogate. He's just watching this grown man cry in his underwear outside of his hotel Mm. room. And, Mm. um, yes, I don't (laughs) like it. It sounds really like philosophical and it's tackling all these themes and it does, but it also is like funny. Oh, yeah. And it's beautiful. It breaks to the look tension at. a lot. Like, yeah. yeah. There's the scene where um, the two couples are like philosophically debating like 
how you would react to the scenario. Yeah. It's broken up by this insane POV shot from a drone that like invades their like argument. Oh yeah. Uh One of the biggest laughs I've gotten out of any movie recently, even though this isn't usually my kind of thing, but like how tense that argument was and then how ridiculous that POV shot from the drone was like, I had no choice Uh. but to laugh. Just like involuntarily. (laughs) So I don't know. There's like a very like Haneke or like Solon's, style like humor here where it's like just really dwelling on the discomfort of just humanity not being good enough well, and, <laughs> but, and, uh, and to bring it back to our whole topic about bad vacations like the idea that in this film he's like the provider he's got a good job whatever mm-hmm. and you go on vacation to kind of relax mm-hmm. with the family whatever and to go on vacation and it kind of shows you the cracks right. in your own family dynamic that's why i thought this was a good pick yeah for this topic well i was just saying that we could not afford a skiing vacation but i think we could afford the vacation in the lost daughter a little more where she just goes to like a beach resort and like gets like kind of almost like an airbnb hotel room and then uh just hangs out on the beach for a few days Hangs out in greece it's more of like aspirational yes with some Um, bad fruit (laughs) yeah with some rotten fruit in the bowl on the table I have Oscar's brain right now, which I admitted at the top of this episode where I'm just like watching a bunch of Oscar nominated movies. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to watch the ceremony no matter what when it airs. So like I might as well have seen a few of the movies that came out. <laughs> this one was the directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal mm-hmm. and kind of feels just like a collaboration between like four very good actresses. Like it's her and Olivia Coleman, Dakota, Dakota Johnson, Johnson yeah. and Jesse Buckley. I like all those yeah. actors a lot and they're all very good in this movie. If I have any complaints about it, it feels like anytime an actor directs a movie, it's like the entire point is like, what can I do to platform the performances? And it's like all the performances in The Lost Daughter are very good. I don't know if it amounts to much more than that. When I proposed this movie for this episode, it was before the Oscar nominations were announced. And I was like, oh yeah, let's do that one because it's going to be a nominated for Oscars. Um, and I just, I, I know I'm going to be watching a bunch of those movies anyway. James was like, really? I'm not sure that that's actually going to get anything. Uh, but it did. It did. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, the Oscars just love Olivia Coleman. Right. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Olivia Coleman? No, and she's Coleman. great. Yeah. Most of the nominations were performance. It was like her yeah. and Jesse Buckley is yeah. the nice. younger version of the same oh, character. I love so Jesse good. Buckley. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen Beast? No. That is her best movie. All it's right. so fucking good. Like yeah, I've been yeah. on her like fan level like since that film and the other one they got was for best adapted screenplay which mm-hmm. i feel like is a little weird because this is based on a novel about a bad vacation yeah by uh, elena ferrante go on she so she <laughs> did a series of novels called the i think it's the neapolitan novels or sto- or something so it's about these two friends who grow up in like pre-war post-war italy um, and it's just chronicling their um, friendship throughout, like many, many years. I think it's I think it's three or four novels, and I read the first one, and I really, really loved it. So I like Elena Ferrante. I feel like people who love that work might tune into this movie more than anyone who's never read her stuff before, which yeah. is kind of where I'm coming from. We're like, this feels like someone adapting a novel they love and not really knowing how to translate that to cinema. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is very good, but it's not great. And I feel like it's kind of like too reverent to the source material. Yeah. 
Olivia Coleman plays a woman on vacation. She's like a professor who's like on sabbatical between semesters. So she has a long time to like unravel on this beach. And um, she is in, I believe, the Mediterranean, um, Italy, maybe. Like, I, th- I no, think it's Greece. 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 Yeah. Right? Greece. So, okay. yeah. So this story is totally separate from separate. those okay. others. Yeah. Okay. But the other occupants of the beach are an Italian family from America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Jersey crew. Are <laughs> definitely mafia associated, even though that's never put in like plain terms. Just the looks that all the dudes yeah. kind of give. Everyone's her. like afraid of this other family on the beach. Yeah. But she's fascinated by them, particularly Dakota Johnson, who's like a young mother who's very annoyed by her child. Like she's trying to have this fabulous, relaxing vacation and her child is like pawing at her face and just being annoying yeah. and like basically poking her eyeballs while she's trying to take a nap in the sun. And Olivia Coleman's like fascinated with this one person, but annoyed by her extended family, which is like 20 to 50 other people who are just obnoxious Jersey shore people, like ruining her like sabbatical between semesters. Right. And by fixating on this younger mother, she's remembering her own early experiences as a mother, like 20 years before, mm-hmm. and thinking about her own children, how she relates to them. And that's where I think the movie is very good. Like, I think it's a very good drama about difficult women and like how women are expected to be like selfless like when you have a child Mm -hmm. your child matters more than your personal comfort and your personal like drive as a as like a professional and she it's exposed as the movie goes on this has been on netflix for four months now so i don't feel so bad spoiling this but she abandoned her kids for like three years Mm -hmm. and uh Mm -hmm. that betrayal of her like duty as a mother kind of playing in the same like parental failure of force majeure like and it's even amplified because she's a woman. Like the motherhood thing is supposed to be like her like main drive. And she's like, actually, it felt great to not be like poked in the eyeball <laughs> right. by yeah. my children for oh, three years. And the kids in this movie, like so Dakota Johnson's little girl and then her children in the flashbacks, like to me, come off on like how really children are to their parents. Yeah. So Just, annoying. Like, clawing at you. You don't have any privacy. You yeah. tell them to stop and they think it's funny if they keep yeah. doing. And I'm yep. like, oh my God. Like, I know. Jesus. I did. I did stuff like that. As it, Like I went through a biting phase. I would just bite people and Could I thought imagine? it was very funny. <laughs> Could you imagine? It yeah. repeats that gag from the Babadook too where she like tries to have a moment of peace and like masturbate. Yeah. And the kids like invade her like no privacy. private time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that works really well. Like as far as the younger self, the older version of herself and the Dakota Johnson character, all very like complicated, difficult women. Like that part is great. The part that doesn't work as much to me is like, she keeps involving herself in this mafia family. And like, there's these threats that like, if she fucks up their day, they could kill her. (laughs) Like she keeps getting warned that like, Oh, they're not a family to fuck with. And like the men in that social circle are a problem. And it feels like it's building to this like drama, this like thriller genre template where like, there's gonna be consequences to the fact that she fucks with that family and she does it. Like she finds their child who like wanders off and it's Mm -hmm. a pretty innocent problem. It's a pretty innocent conflict. Like she like the kid wanders off to a like secluded section of the beach and she brings the kid back. So she's involving herself in their lives and then she goes a step further by stealing the kid's favorite doll yeah. um, so for reasons awesome. that she can't really explain and ruins their lives for like a week where like the kid cannot stop crying because they're missing this one object. And I don't feel like that really builds to anything. 
even though in the movie she gets stabbed in the right. stomach by a hat pin. Uh, <laughs> and that's supposed to be sort of symbolic about their like, you know, complicated relationship. It feels like that should be a bigger event than it is. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know. I, I picked this movie cause I knew I was going to watch it either way. And I feel like Maggie Gyllenhaal as a director was really good at honing in on these like very complicated women as like performances for these different actors. But, you know, as a genre enthusiast who like wanted to see like psychological drama and the like mafia on the beach, bad vacation drama, like a thriller drama, like build to like a thing. I feel like only one of those two things built to something. I feel Mm -hmm. like the psychological drama for the women built to something. The mafia thriller did not go anywhere. Well, I was kind of confused by the mafia part of it. Like there's that part of the film where she goes to her rental car and like all the dudes are like leaning Mm -hmm. on a car and it ends up not being the one she wants, but they're super weird about it. Like they look at her in a weird way and they treat her strangely. And I'm like, did she do something to piss them off that like, I'm like, it's they, just that she's an outsider that like inserted I, herself in their lives, yeah. I guess. Yes, because it's like the only th- she's done shit to fuck with them, but they don't know about it. Like she does, they don't know that she's like get wants to give her hotel room so like you know his wife can have an affair with the little guy from the yeah resort, and they don't know that she's got this nasty little baby doll. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think the main inciting incident in the beginning, like they want her to move because they want to have like their their whole family set up and she's like, no, I'm not going to move. This is my vacation to like, she asserts herself to them. And even though they say like, you know, they kind of patch things up, but I feel like there is this tension of like, we own this Island. Like this is our vacation Island and you are trying to have your vacation at the same time. That's a, big like bad vacation moment yeah, as far for as like sure. for, like relatable like nightmare vacation stuff like yeah a giant family just like owning an entire space yeah, like kicking you out oh my and the the scene where she goes to see a movie Oof. oh, oh yeah. and these like these young Bros. teens are like shouting and like laughing and she just wants to watch this movie and she's getting more and more upset and then eventually she goes and like tells the owner of the theater and the theater owner's like whatever yeah the usher (laughs) yeah and the usher's like whatever and then she walks in and everybody is on their best behavior and pissed me off so much oh my god i was infuriated because like at first i was like oh is this like everything that she's doing is this part of this inclusive all-inclusive resort but then when the woman at the theater is like oh do you want your money back or something i'm like oh so is she going out into the town yeah and that's not on the resort property? I don't think it's a resort. Yeah, I think it's, it's just, just like, like a vacation town. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and this guy rents out this place for her to... It's like when you go to like Destin, Florida. Like yeah. That's a functional city that has a purpose even in the winter. Right. But like most people only go there from like May to September. Uh, yeah. th- this feels like the worst vacation though. Yeah. Out of all the films probably we so talked expensive. about... <laughs> No, it's just like, because it's solo, too. Right. No, I mean, like, it's one thing to go with your family or whatever, but, like, she's going on her own, and this vacation sucks, man. Yeah. Like, that, to me, yeah. makes it the worst. Yeah. Like, as someone who, like, travels solo, like, most of the time, like, I kind of, like, felt some of that, because mm-hmm. what's cool about solo traveling is, like, the excitement and the 
the ability to be free and like do what you want and not yeah. to worry about what other people want of you and the fact that like that's probably what she intended to do and like these people are preventing her from doing that yeah like anytime mm-hmm. things like that would happen to me i would get so pissed i'm like that's the purpose why i'm here so right. i don't have to fucking follow any i'm rules. here to relax <laughs> and i want to do what i want to do <laughs> but you do yeah, have those like sort of it. parasocial relationships in those scenarios where like if you stay in a hotel where you see the same family like three or four days in a row you do kind of get kind of familiar with them right like, you yeah. feel like you're part of their lives even though it's all fake yeah. It like has no right. consequence in the long term. Right. I will say too, like if you go on vacation with your family, you can expect maybe there will be some conflict, but you know, you don't expect to be stabbed. That's not By a hat. <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing that you're factoring. So that's definitely like bar none the worst vacation. <laughs> so what do y'all think about the relationship between her and the older guy? And What's Harris. Oh, oh Harris. man. Well, I think he's like sexy as fuck in this movie, though. <laughs> he's sexy yeah. and he's so old. Yeah. He's laying it on. The I could not stop thinking about dude. the math whenever he's like, oh, you're, how old are you? And she's like, oh, I'm 48. And he has a kid mm. that's 50. And I'm like, oh, he has to at least be 66. I think he's like laying yeah. it on so thick. Like every woman who stays in here alone, I fuck. Right. And like he has his <laughs> like button ups. <laughs> Tucked into his like dungarees with no belt and like just walks in with this like pure mm. masculinity like bravado and he's yeah. like I just have a hundred percent success rate with sex here. <laughs> and like you are the one thorn in my side. Yeah. You're, like, yeah. you're not playing with the program. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I I found all the character dynamics actually like exceptionally fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's like, fun to watch them. That's why it yeah. feels like a an actor directing a movie. It's like all of the interplay between the characters like all fucking works so yeah. well. Yeah. It's just like it feels like it's building towards a climax that like only works for like half of the movie. Like it works for like the mother drama half but not necessarily yeah. the mafia drama half. Yeah, mm-hmm. but even the mother drama it's like ultimately she leaves for three years and then, but she still has a relationship with her kids, you know, it's Rocky though. Yeah. But I do feel like she has a relationship with her kids, but it is Rocky because of her selfishness, which is like not necessarily a negative thing. Like, yeah, I would also maybe want to have a fucking break from my kids that were haranguing me, but the, there's also like three years is a long yeah it's a long yeah, time that is yeah. a long time but especially when the children are like six or seven right. years old like, it's yeah. a big deal but so i mean there is real selfishness and her like urge to do kind of whatever her whim compels her to do mm-hmm. is that's also the thing that has her hold on to this doll like she's whole uh, she's getting something from it like yeah. she had this doll that her daughter ruined <laughs> That she was really angry. But, so she's holding on to this thing that isn't hers. And that is the thing that like causes this explosion of anger from the mother. Like yeah. when the mother realized like you had my doll this whole time. And, and then she like stabs her with a hat pin. So it's like this character trait of hers that she has kind of avoided real consequences from like forces the hand of this of Dakota Johnson in the end. That's what fucked me up was Dakota Johnson saying, you better watch your back for the rest of your life. Yeah. Ugh. And it's like, there's only like 15 minutes of the movie left after that threat. I know. And it's like, so what's going to happen? Yeah. And it's like, well, actually the next two minutes where she stabs her, that's it. 
Like, yeah. And, and then the movie just, just sort of resolves. <laughs> yeah. But that whole part where she kind of, it's like she held all this stuff in that she wanted to say to Dakota Johnson's character till the stabbing moment. Mm-hmm. And then she just kind of like, is like, oh, I've got the doll. And I and I know that like your life sucks and I've experienced it too. And like, mm-hmm. we're both bought. Like she just starts having this word vomit moment. Yeah. And Dakota Johnson's like, I don't hear any of it except like you have the fucking doll. Right. You could have saved me two weeks of me hearing my child scream. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's where like the parasocial relationship works is like she thinks that they're experiencing the same thing and she assumes yeah. they're on the same level. And, and she's not. in her own head. Like she's just assuming yeah. a lot. Yeah. And they're not thinking in the same way, the way that she was assuming. In a lot of movies like this, like I feel like it's always the child's perspective and we didn't really have it that much. We just know that like the relationship's not that great. So I like like just went back and forth with how I feel about this, where I'm like, if a parent abandons their kids for three years, be it a mother or father, that sucks. And you probably like damage these kids yeah, at the same time. Sure. Like it probably sucks to like not be able to do that. And then I just kept going back and forth with it. Like, mm. holy shit, yeah. that's just a shitty situation all yeah. over. And I mean, I think that's what happens when you become a parent. You know, you can't do whatever you want to do right. without it impacting your children. And if you do whatever you want to do, then you have to deal with the consequences right. of that. You know, it's like you're putting yourself in a position where you hold so much responsibility and it's really hard to live up to that. Mm-hmm. But if you don't live up to it, there are consequences. Right. So, so wild. Made me yeah. freak out the whole time. <laughs> That's why I like having cats. You know, <laughs> yeah. like... Fewer, fewer ramifications. Yeah. I feel like that's the big cathartic release of this for a lot of people. Like, obviously, this movie has struck a chord with a lot of audiences. And I feel like it's mostly with women who have children, mm-hmm. where it's like, there are times in my day where, like, I don't like my child. Yeah. Like, my child is putting their dirty little thumb in my <laughs> mouth while I'm trying to type an email to my boss. Right. And I'm like, fuck the fuck off for 10 minutes. <laughs> right. And I can't get that piece. Like, I feel like that is what audiences are resonating with with this film. Yeah. And I understand sort of, like, intellectually how that makes it, like, an Oscar-nominated film and, like, why it's, like, above the fray. I just, like, I don't think it's entirely successful as, like, a standalone movie. It makes me want to read the novel more than it makes me respect it as, like, a standalone film. I wonder if the novel has more background to all this, like, mob, mysterious mob stuff that, like, is super exciting. But I think I'm excited about it and intrigued by it because nothing's really answered. It doesn't have a payoff. Like, there's, like, a missing climax with that. I do know that the... So, I haven't read The Lost Daughter. I've only read, um, like, part of the Neapolitan series. But I do know that the novel and the movie end completely differently. Oh, okay. And I also know that I find Elena Ferrante to be a very good writer. And very, like, digestible. So, I definitely want to read this. Oh, my God. I'm up to... Yeah. Get in on it. Get in on this. Yeah. I do think, like, at least ties in to Force Majeure and Vegas Vacation. Like, there's a lot of, like, just parental worrying about, yeah. like, how would you react to certain scenarios. I feel like a lot of the discussion of this film alludes to what happens because it doesn't sound like much once you know. It's like mm-hmm. an incident throws off the dynamic. It's like she steals a baby doll. That doesn't sound very, like, compelling. Right. But, like, it's the same anxieties as force majeure like protecting your family right or vegas vacation like losing a grip on your place in the family and i do like that it's like the act of stealing the doll it's basically innocuous you know like it's not really hurting anybody 
but the longer it goes on, the harder it is to own up to it and the more of an impact it has. Because now the family is like, where the fuck is this doll? We've been looking everywhere for it for days and we have no idea. Like they have wanted posters up for the doll. So horrible. And all like, she had to do was say like, oh, I found it. I'm just cleaning it up for right. you guys. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, that? yeah, I found it on the. Yeah. And but every day <laughs> that she puts it off, it's like y- you can't now bridge that relationship without it being like you're a fucking weird middle-aged woman and why did you keep i think that works as a character trait like it like (laughs) olivia coleman getting nominated for like best actress makes sense to me yeah oh my gosh because she's really good as a weird middle-aged woman yeah (laughs) (laughs) who would think of that casting i don't know if it works as like drama on the screen as as well as it works in that way yeah yeah i i felt like there were so many really good moments but i don't know that i had the impression afterwards that it like tied together in a really satisfying way yeah which i think is kind of what you were saying like you know jesse buckley's great olivia coleman's great dakota johnson is great but like it doesn't really coalesce for me at the end and maggie gyllenhaal as a director like that is her strong suit here so she gives them opportunities yeah. to be great and complicated yeah which I mean, I, I recently watched The Deuce. I don't know if y'all have seen that show, but Mm-mm. like, she's very good on it. And I feel like she yeah. came to her own as an artist in it. I've been a fan of hers since Secretary. Yeah. And like, it feels like she's been like working her way back up to that performance. And like, on The Deuce, she plays a porno actress that becomes a director over the course of mm-hmm. the show. Oh. Um, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, whether or not you can stand watching a James Franco show for like, 40 hours but like I, I think she's very good on it and like it kind of continues here like she's playing she's playing all these like complicated women to their like full strong suit yeah um, and I'd, I'd want to see more stuff from her I just want her to rein it in a little like yeah <laughs> you know this movie's like two hours long I feel like if you cut that down about a half an hour like the mm-hmm. intensity of the drama would be a lot, lot stronger mm-hmm. but maybe even in that you might lose a little bit of like the liminal space of being in a vacation because the movie does like feel relaxing. Mm-hmm. Like you feel like you're just kind of hanging out on the beach yeah. waiting for something bad to happen. So it does feel like you're kind of like in vacation limbo in it. So I don't know. There's, so, there's something missing here, but it's like almost great. Yeah. Like it's like almost there. Uh, there's plenty of movies that have won like way more Oscars than this one's going to win and are like way worse. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> like this one's pretty good. At, at least as far as like a platform for like great performances. Yeah. So worth watching. It's on Netflix. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to spark the same 50 years of discourse that last year in Mary Bad have sparked, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it is definitely worth watching if you want to like be involved in like current cinema discourse. Yeah. Um, and I promise that I will still be stuck on Oscars for the next two episodes, at least that we do all do together. Cause <laughs> I can help myself. Uh, so look forward to more of that next episode on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about, this movie V from the 1960s, uh, V-I-Y, it is a Russian horror film based on Ukrainian folktales. It's part Hello. of that, um, I believe Severin did a recent box set on like folk horrors. It's on Shutter right now. <gasps> it's oh all tied gosh. in with that big three and a half hour documentary, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. They cover like over 200 films in the documentary. Wow, cool. Uh, and V is like one of the bigger ones. It's very good. And I, I saw it a couple of years ago, and Allie picked it out for like an episode topic. So I'm looking forward to like digging into it again with a couple other people. And check out Swampflix.com for other reviews. Plenty of other stuff going on right now besides Russian folk tales. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.